Proverbs chapter 3, we're, we're coming out of verses 11 and 12, which say, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And then in verse 13, as we approach our text this evening, Solomon exclaims, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the truth and the songs that we have sung. Thank you for your grace shown in the ministry done by so many people. We praise you for just the evidences of your work. We praise you for your word as we're continuing to hear about in the morning service and now in Sunday schools as well, for your word that is trustworthy is true and is so available to us. Lord, as we look at it tonight, please make it clear. Help me to be clear. Help hearts and, and minds and ears to be attentive, open, open to areas that may need to be convicted, open to areas that need encouragement, that would be effective in those things. Be gracious in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. None of you are strangers to advertising. It's all around. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the stores that you walk into. It's on the radio that you listen to. It's even in the web pages. It's even on the Bible online. There are advertisements on the left and right-hand column everywhere. And an advertisement is, is designed to grab your attention and to make something seem appealing, to make something seem desirable and worth pursuing, worth even spending your money on, giving of your resources in order then to obtain that event or experience or object or what, whatever the case may be. One of the more interesting uh, instances of advertising that I've ever seen was uh, was actually in Malawi. Maro, you probably know where I'm going with this right now. But Malawi, advertising doesn't seem to be constrained by the whole truth in advertising laws. Um, so there is a specialty coffee in Malawi called Mzuzu Coffee. Mzuzu Specialty Coffee. And, and here's how it advertises itself on his bags. It says, Mzuzu Specialty Coffee, our coffee and your health. Mzuzu Coffee will contribute the following to your body. Improves mental performance. Improve alertness. Improves athletic performance. Reduces the risk of liver cancer. Liver cancer. Reduces the risk of diabetes. Uh, reduces the organization of gallstone. So reduces the risk of gallstones probably. Uh, protects from the development of Parkinson's disease. Protects from colds. And so that's coffee. This specialty coffee in and of itself specifically. And then it lists the, the, the mineral composition. And then it says, dear customer... Research is what makes people discover things. Mzuzu Coffee Planters Cooperative Union discovered that coffee is essential for health. Take it as a necessity. Stop consuming it for pleasure. 
That's advertising right there. This is, this is the elixir of life. But I mean, the whole point is to say, you've got to have this coffee. If you don't have it, you are missing out. I mean, you're going to get diabetes, you're going to get Parkinson's, you're going to get liver cancer, you're going to get gallstones, so you better drink this coffee. That's, that's advertising, right? As I was studying this passage and, and, and going over it time and time again, I felt like this was an advertising campaign, a divinely sanctioned advertising campaign by Solomon where he is, he is doing everything he can to hold out wisdom before his son and ultimately the reader and to say, you've got to have this. If you don't have this, you're missing out. And so Solomon employs seven strategies to sell you, to sell his son on wisdom. He is trying, and it's completely truth in advertising, he is trying to put forth wisdom as absolutely necessary. And so he has seven strategies here in this passage that he uses to, to, to convince his son and to convince us that wisdom is necessary. So the first strategy here is that he proclaims wisdom's promise. Look at what he says in verse 13 with me. He says, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Now, Hebrew structure employs a lot of parallelism, and so we're going to find things where wisdom and understanding and then even further down um, knowledge are all sort of employed in parallel terms. But the whole notion is this, this idea of, of having a godly discernment in life. Okay, so wisdom and understanding kind of refer to the, it's referring to the same concept. But the key word in this verse is Blessed. Happy, fortunate. If you were to read this verse according to how the Hebrew has it structured, you could not say, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. You would have to say, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Blessed, I tell you. Okay, because blessed is the emphasis. Right out front, right out of the gate says, blessed is this man and this man. Happy is this man and this man. Fortunate is this man and this man. Here's the promise. If there's a man who finds wisdom, then the promise of that is blessing, is fortune in the sense of um, not necessarily wealth per se, but, but the, the blessing and the happiness of a satisfied life. That is the promise of wisdom that Solomon holds out. If you find wisdom, then the result is blessing. The result is happiness, is favor, is fortunate in that way. Wisdom here, as we've been kind of working through, wisdom refers basically to the ability to make God-honoring decisions in all areas of life, in decisions regarding morality, decisions regarding ethics, decisions regarding life and actions. In any given consequence, being able to understand the relationship of God and life and thus to take action accordingly. Okay, that's, that's wisdom there. And so the person who finds, who, who comes upon and seeks out and, and comes into an encounter and an experience with that ability is happy, is blessed. It's kind of like saying, buy this deodorant and you're going to be attractive. Right? I mean, foolish advertising, but it's the same concept. This is going to be the result. We promise you attractiveness if you use our deodorant. That's a dumb example, but it's the same principle. 
This is going to be the result. Find wisdom and blessing, happiness, fortune will follow. And the man who gains, who, who elicits and draws out of life, understanding, this word's often coupled with, with particular skill and insight. The, the workers who constructed the tabernacle, they were referred to with this word. They had great skill, the ability to effectively employ their knowledge to come about with, with a particular outcome. A man who finds wisdom, a man who draws understanding out of life and applies it will be blessed, will be, will be happy. And Solomon's looking at his son going, son, I want you to be happy. Don't you want to be happy, son? Okay, find wisdom. He, he, he doesn't say get lots of money. He doesn't say have lots of relationships. He says find wisdom. And the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding, son, like I want you to do and to be and to find, it's going to be blessed. The result of that, the promise of that is blessing. You'll be happy. You're going to be a fortunate guy if you find wisdom and gain understanding. His second strategy then is wisdom's return. Wisdom's return in verse 14. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. Solomon is looking at wisdom as a commodity. It was, it was a trading culture, right? Merchant ships, merchant caravans. They would trade from nation to nation and people to people. And, you know, they would have a commodity in this area of the land and they would not have the commodity over here. So they'd have to take their commodity and trade it and get those other commodities in order for their, for their economy to function. And so Solomon is looking at wisdom as a commodity and saying, the return that you get from wisdom is better than the profit of silver. Silver was a pretty hefty commodity in those days. Still is. Very few people would turn down a bar of silver. It's, it's, a, it's a precious commodity. It's a valuable commodity. It has a lot of trading power, a lot of profit involved with it. But it's not just better than the profit of silver. Her gain is better than, than gold. Actually, it's better than fine gold. Not just the sort of stuff that's mixed in with all the, um, the particulates and the things that tarnish the value. This is, this is 24 carat fine gold, pure gold. Solomon is saying, son, here is a perfectly pure 24 carat bar of gold and here is wisdom. This is more valuable. I wonder, hypothetically, not that this would ever really happen, but if we were presented with the opportunity to take either a, a full-on bar of gold or a guaranteed 20% raise in our wisdom, what would we take? Solomon is saying, look, faced even with that kind of a decision, take the wisdom because wisdom has more profit, more gain than silver or than gold. That doesn't make sense in our culture, does it? I mean, think, think about the people in your workplaces. What are they driven by? They're driven by wealth. Our, our, our world, even, as a whole, is driven by wealth and a desire for wealth. And what can I do with wealth? And how can I gain more wealth? Silver, gold. And Solomon's saying, look, you need wisdom He's doing everything he can to make wisdom attractive and desirable and, and viewed as necessary by his son. And the reason is that wisdom's return on investment, on its usefulness as a commodity, 
It's greater than gold or silver. I got to tell you, though, as I was pondering that kind of a thing and knowing that ultimately this always comes up, right, when we're talking about wisdom. The opportunity to make a few more bucks or the opportunity to grow in the knowledge of God and his will. Sometimes that's probably a harder choice than it ought to be. Uh, just speaking from personal experience. So it, 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 was, it was convicting for me in that to really sit there and, and to think better than gold. I've never even seen a bar of gold. <laughs> but I imagine that it'd be pretty impressive. And yet Solomon would say, if you're, if you're choosing between the two, man, pass on the gold and take the wisdom. There will be better gain, more gain from wisdom than silver or gold. So Solomon is saying, look, son, you need wisdom. I'm trying to sell you on wisdom. And you got to realize the promise of, of, of wisdom, promise of blessing, of happiness. you got to realize wisdom's return, son. You want a, you want a solid investment? Pursue wisdom. Her profit's better. Her gain is better. And then he goes and he looks at wisdom's appraisal. He assesses her value, her rarity. She, wisdom is personified here, again, as a commodity, as, as, a, as even a person who's available to be appraised of her value. And wisdom here is more precious than jewels. It's the idea of rarity. I feel like, again, sometimes it's easy for us to think, you know what, I'm just going to sort of become wise by osmosis. I'm just going to sort of exist, and I'll get wise. But with this idea of rarity here, that value coming from rarity is, is that preciousness, how often... Do you just sort of walk by and, <laughs> a ruby? We typically don't, right? So you're not necessarily just going to walk by and say, ah, oh, more wisdom. Like, it's precious. It's rare. We know how to get it, and Solomon has told us how to seek it. But sometimes, and again, thinking in my own life, sometimes it's kind of like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to get more wise. It'll happen. Because, because it will. You know, sort of this, 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 this passivity to, to becoming wise. But she's rare and that rarity leads to more preciousness, value, even than jewels. And then it continues with this appraisal. He says, he says, and nothing you desire compares with her. So in some ways, you can look at it this way. That car you desire doesn't compare with wisdom. That person you desire doesn't compare with wisdom. That job you desire, that education you desire doesn't compare with wisdom. That house you desire doesn't compare with wisdom. Um, that wonderful dish of barbecue you desire doesn't compare with wisdom. Nothing you desire, health, doesn't compare with wisdom. Security doesn't compare with wisdom. That's one way of looking at it. Nothing, you know, just, just name it, name it, name it, name it. It doesn't compare. That's one way to look at it. But I think, I think the emphasis of the verse is even stronger than that. It literally reads, all you desire does not equal to her. See the difference? On the one hand, car doesn't compare, doesn't equal the value of wisdom. Uh, house doesn't equal, health doesn't equal. 
But, but I think in a stronger way, what Solomon is trying to communicate is, you know what? The car plus the house plus the health plus the security. Lump it all together and it does not equal wisdom. It does not compare with wisdom. And I hear that and I think, what am I doing? Where, where are my priorities of pursuit what am I trying to gain? What am I trying to teach my kids to gain? Because lump it all together and it doesn't compare with wisdom. It doesn't compare with the ability to know how to, how to live in the fear of God. But we're good at that. We're good at desiring other things. I'm, I'm good at desiring other things. I'll just be honest with you. And Solomon is telling me each and every and all of those desires should pale in comparison to your desire for wisdom. And you notice kind of kind of does this. He says, and nothing you desire, son. Everything else is talking about wisdom. But then he goes, you. You. Nothing you desire. You're not exempt. I'm not exempt. Nothing we desire compares with her. We could pray and go home right now. And you could just noodle on that and consider that and consider the, the weight and the priorities of our desires and how that compares and reflects with our pursuit of wisdom and the ability to live in such a way that reflects the fear of the Lord in our moral and ethical and life decisions. So he says, son, wisdom has a promise. Son, look at wisdom's return on investment. Son, look at her appraisal. You gotta have wisdom, son. And he goes on and he says, she's also got accessories. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. It's kind of like Lady Liberty. And you got the torch and the tablet. Lady Wisdom has long life. This is the dominant hand. Okay, my right, over here for you. The dominant hand, the important thing is long life. And then, and then subordinate to that in her left hand is she also has riches and honor. If you seek wisdom, then she has the opportunity and the ability to bestow long life and riches and honor. Look back with me at uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. We see this borne out in Solomon's interaction with the Lord. First Kings chapter 3 verse 9 in, in answer to God's opportunity to ask him of anything. Solomon says, verse 9, So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. Wisdom. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you've asked this thing, wisdom, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you and nor shall one arise like you after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor so that there will not be many among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, if you are wise in your life, then I will prolong your days. So don't seek a long life. 
Don't seek riches and honor. Seek wisdom, knowing that in the pursuit of wisdom is the opportunity for those things in God's providence to come. Providentially, that is how he generally works to bring about long life and riches and honor is through, is through wise living, is through living that reflects a fear of the Lord. In addition to her accessories, wisdom also has influence. Look at wisdom's influence. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Ways, paths, you know, we kind of think about um, this notion of like concrete pavers going through a nice little garden, and you know, there's, a, there's my garden path, and um, it's, it's, it's the course of life. Walking life with wisdom, she makes pleasant ways. She makes beautiful ways. She influences life in such a way that, that following her, you walk in ways of, of kindness and beauty and pleasantness. Same idea with the paths. All her paths are peace. This is, this is not necessarily like the idea of there is no conflict. It's actually, it's actually more than that because in a sense, you can, have, you can have peace as in the absence of conflict, but you can have a lot of stale apathy in life in the midst of a lack of conflict. But the peace, the shalom that wisdom's path and wisdom's ways bring is a wholeness and a well-being and, and, and kind of a holistic healthiness, okay, that goes beyond that. It's, it's the Psalm 23 idea. There's not necessarily a lack of conflict, but he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, takes me to the green pastures. Even if I do walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what, I'm not going to fear any evil. Because there's shalom when you're walking with wisdom and when you're walking with God. There's a peace in the midst of that. There are delightful, favorable, beautiful ways as you walk with wisdom. So as you're walking along, all along besides you, all along in front of you, all along underneath you, around you, what have you, there could be all sorts of tumultuous terrain. The, the proverbial seas of life could be choppy, could be hard, could be windblown. And yet as you walk with wisdom, you will experience pleasantness and you will experience peace even in the midst of that. Not to say those go away, but it comes through the situation as wisdom exerts her influence in your life. And that's why he's saying, son, seek this. As a negative example, <laughs> praise be to God, I feel, like, I feel like there's been growth in, in wisdom in my life, growth in my understanding of the Lord, and thus my fear of Him, and thus how I respond to situations. And so, so six years ago, uh, six and a half, um, what brought me here was losing my position at, a, at, a, at a previous church. Just completely out of the blue, sort of sat down and said, hey, you know what? We're not going to be able to keep you anymore. And I, I had made plans and I had had ideas of what was going to be happening in life and how we were going to be moving forward and et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I did not experience pleasant ways <laughs> I did not experience peace, but I was not walking with wisdom in that. 
I was walking and responding in ways of, of, of anger, which is not wise. That doesn't reflect the fear of the Lord. I was walking in ways of independence, which certainly does not reflect the fear of the Lord. I was walking in ways of, of, of bitterness, which does not reflect the fear of the Lord. And yet, as I've grown in my understanding of the greatness and character of God, if Mission Road ever chooses to fire me, I'll, I'll, I'll be in a much better spot to respond in wisdom and to experience the peace and shalom and, 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 and pleasantness that comes with knowing who is my God and how do I respond accordingly. You're supposed to laugh at the whole Mission Road firing me thing <laughs> because your, your response is really, no, it's, you know, it's okay. It's peace. <laughs> you can talk to me after if you need to. So Solomon says, son, look at wisdom's promise. Look at the return that she'll bring. Look at how valuable she is, her appraisal. Look at, look at the accessories that she has to offer. Look at the influence that she will exert in your life. And then he says, son, look at her effects. Verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who hold her fast. The effects of, of, of grabbing onto wisdom, of being aggressive in your pursuit and enduring in your clinging to wisdom, which is the idea of take hold and, and then hold her fast. It's not just a one-time gotcha and then, okay, I'm done and I'm just going to stick with it. No, you, you've, got, you've got to cling to wisdom. Cling to the fear of the Lord and how that then influences your life and would inform your decisions and your responses and your heart and your thinking. Cling to that and you will find wisdom to be a tree of life. You will find the, idea, the, the result that you are happy. It's the same word as blessed. You'll find the result that when you cling to wisdom, you are happy. Why do you think Paul can say, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether in, in, in plenty or in lack. I don't know. I can, I can be content in any situation. I can be happy in any situation that I find myself because I have Christ in a nutshell. I know because of my relationship with Christ how then to rightly view and assess plenty or lack and respond to plenty or lack so that, man, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm even Stephen right in the middle. I don't care if I have plenty or lack because I'm content in Christ. I know how to respond in the fear of the Lord in those things. Uh, tree of life, I think, has more, as opposed to like being a throwback to, to Genesis and, the, and kind of the idea of eternal life, I think it has more um, the idea of just being a source of life. Okay, not an eternal source, but, but an immediate source of life and even of that blessing and that joy. We see it in Proverbs 13, 12. Look over with me there. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Again, just being a source of vibrancy in life. Proverbs 15, 4 as well. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in your tongue crushes the spirit. So when someone's going through a hard time and you speak, with a soothing tongue, it brings vibrancy and refreshment and revival to their life. Whereas if you, you can speak the opposite way and just crush their spirit in those regards. This is what wisdom does. Wisdom brings vibrancy and revival and, and, and health to life. But it's not a one-time shot and then you walk away. You take hold of her. 
and you hold her fast. And you'll be happy. Because no matter what comes your way, son, you'll know how to respond in the fear of the Lord to whatever decision needs to come to come from you in, the, in that situation. In the course of life, you'll find nourishment and happiness as you walk with wisdom, as you find wisdom and seek wisdom. Nourishment and happiness instead of, instead of angst and bitterness and anger and lack of trust and concern and anxiety and sadness. Instead of those things, you will find life and happiness. But she's precious, son. She's precious, Mission Road. You got to find her. You got to seek her. And you got to value her. Not just sort of hope you bump into her and, and will we'll casually absorb her. Wisdom comes with a fantastic promise. Wisdom comes with, with an incalculable return. Wisdom has an invaluable appraisal. Wisdom has amazing accessories. Wisdom's influence will change your life. Wisdom's effects will be magnificent. But then lastly, he brings up wisdom's referral. Okay? It's, <laughs> it's the celebrity factor in advertising today. Here, we're going to go back to my stupid deodorant idea. Use this deodorant because Tim Tebow does. And Tim Tebow's athletic and attractive and effective in life. So use the deodorant because, hey, look, Tim Tebow does. Tebow's the referral in that situation. Wisdom has a much better referral. Wisdom has a much better resume, as it were, because wisdom's reference is Yahweh. It says in verse 19 and 20, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up. Broken up. Just as blessed was the emphasis in the very first verse that we looked at, the emphasis here is the Lord. The Lord by wisdom. The Lord by understanding. The Lord by his knowledge. Look at what God himself did by wisdom, with wisdom, in wisdom. Don't you want wisdom? If you don't, then you're going to say no to something that God himself makes use of. You want wisdom. You do. Because God used wisdom to do things that are just unfathomable to us. And he used wisdom for it. And we have the opportunity to seek wisdom. He used wisdom to create the earth and the heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He used his understanding to do those things and not just sort of create them in, in some sort of flimsy way that's just going to pass away willy-nilly at the first puff of turbulent air, but he, he founded the earth. He established with such solidity of foundation that it won't be shaken until he chooses to. He established the heavens, and he did that with wisdom. Look at over at Proverbs chapter 8, and we see this actually expanded a little bit. We'll start at verse 27. This is wisdom here speaking again. When he, that's God, when he established the heavens, I was there. 
When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Wisdom was there, and in wisdom, by wisdom, God created everything. That's a pretty good reference. That's a pretty good referral for the effectiveness and the potency of wisdom. Not like most of the advertising that we have nowadays where we have no idea if Tim Tebow even uses that deodorant. He might have just gotten paid enough money to go ahead and hold it up and say, this is the greatest deodorant. We don't even know. But God used wisdom to create the earth and to establish the heavens. So you want wisdom. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up. I think this harkens back as Solomon then expands the, uh, the reference of what, of what God has done with wisdom, which is interesting. Everything else has just been two, it has just been one couplet in, in, the, in, the, in the structure of the poetry. It's just been, you know, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. That's one idea. But then Solomon uses... uses uh, what did I say? One couplet, and now he's using two couplets, four lines here to talk about the referral. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. There's one couplet, but he's not done. That's not enough. By his knowledge, as he expands this idea, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. So we've got creation, but then I think we also have Solomon's hearkening back to even the flood. Because this, this terminology of the deeps, the, the, the primeval oceans being broken up, is, is basically straight from Genesis 7, 11, where as God brings judgment upon the earth in the flood, the deeps are broken up and the water comes rushing up out of the earth. And that was the effect of his knowledge which is here parallel to understanding and wisdom, the things that we are to seek. I mean, what, what power? And furthermore, then, the skies drip with dew. Either it could be an idea, a further idea of the flood, or it could just be the idea of sustenance of the earth. Because this isn't just sort of, you know, when, when I hear the word drip, I think, you know, just kind of turn on a faucet and you go, blip, blip, blip. But that's not really the idea of drip here. This is drip in the sense of you've got a, you've got a, you've got a, a vessel that has overflowed, so full that it's overflowing and so it's running over the sides. A little bit like the baptismal when Adam overflowed it. <laughs> All... All the water came running over the sides, drip, 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 all over the stage and down into the basement, and that's drippage, okay, in this sense. There's such an overflow that it then just dripped all over. And so I'm inclined to think that, that here Solomon is saying it's even by wisdom that God causes the heavens to drip with dew so that it sustains the earth, to overflow with such an abundance that things are sustained. But again, that's the effect of wisdom. Don't you want that? So why, why do you think that the car is so important or the status is so important or that you ought to, that you ought to invest everything to the exclusion of understanding life in the fear of God, that you ought, to, you ought to pursue those other things so much. Look what Yahweh himself did with wisdom. You want that. That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, son, look at her promise. She promises blessing. She promises happiness. Look at the return that she can bring as your commodity, as your investment. Look at how valuable she is. 
Son, look at what comes with her. She's fully decked out. Look at the influence that she'll exert in your life. Pleasantness, peace, wholeness. Look at, look at her effects. Life, and again, happiness. And then, son, look at her referral. Yahweh himself values and utilizes wisdom. Hopefully, in light of all that, the kind of the conclusion is, man, I, I'll take some. I would love some of that. Because think about the impact that that could have in my life, in your life. If that's what it did with God, if that's what comes with her and is involved in, in having wisdom in your life, yes, please, sign me up. But how do I find it? How do I get it? First off, it's from God. Flip back to, to chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, 4 to 6. says, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, again, it's not, you can't just bump into wisdom, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. You have to seek it from God. James 1, 5 says, if you lack wisdom... Go cry about it. Well, no. If you lack wisdom, go ask God. And you know what? He'll give it to you. Paul does this. Look over with me in Ephesians. Paul does this with the churches that he loves and ministers to and, and his heart breaks for and that he desires so much their good. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, he says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom... And of revelation and the knowledge of him. See, wisdom is life lived in reflection of the fear of the Lord. So as you come to know God more, then you are able to live as a reflection of that. And that's Paul's prayer for them. How often do we pray that for one another? For our church? God, grant wisdom. God, that every person at Mission Road would walk in ways that reflect their knowledge and fear of God. Man, what an impact. And that's Paul's heart. And that should be our heart. So we ask the Lord. We seek it from God. And I really mean ask. You know, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of pay lip service. I kind of pay lip service to that sometime. Ah, you know, wisdom comes from God. But then if I really stop and assess my, my life and my thinking and my actions, I find that there are regularly times where God isn't even part of the equation. I don't stop and say, Lord, grant me wisdom because it comes from you. I'm trying to cultivate a habit of waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, I need you and I need your wisdom and having that be the start of my day. Because God is not in me, I have to seek her. And she, and, and she comes from you. So please, give me some. And we find wisdom in Christ. Christ is the epitome and the ultimate expression of wisdom. A couple of verses over in Colossians. Look with me there. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16, for, for by him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, which sounds awfully reminiscent of the wisdom that was there with God when he did creation. Christ is wisdom. Knowledge of Christ is results in wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. He's again praying, and Paul is saying, I'm praying that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
So we find it by asking the Lord and seeking to know Christ. And we know Christ through his word. Christ is here laid out for us to know. But again, as I, as, I, as I expound upon wisdom and who she is and how wonderful and desirable and necessary she is, I then think, why, why does my life not always reflect that? Because I forget. Maybe you forget too. But this is a reminder for us more than gold, more than anything we desire, wisdom is valuable and necessary. And so a couple of questions just to ask ourselves is how do our lives demonstrate our value of wisdom? And that's reflected in knowing Christ and pursuing wisdom from God. So how do our lives reflect that? That's some good self-assessment to do. Assess with a friend who knows you well, with a spouse, with a roommate. What may need to change in that, in terms of some of your priorities, some of the things that we are seeking in our lives, potentially to the exclusion of wisdom and godliness and growth in the fear of the Lord. I'm absolutely stuck in this world at this point in a wonderful way, and so this is where some of the application goes. But what does my parenting look like? If you are a parent, what does your parenting look like? How much parenting or training of young people is, is so geared towards develop this skill, develop this ability, achieve this scholarship, become this athlete or musician or whatever the case may be. How about son, daughters? I want you to be wise. I want you to know and fear God so that that influences every aspect of your life because then no matter where you are or what you're doing, you're going to be blessed. I mean, that's, that ought to be a priority. And so do we seek to create that in our kids? Wisdom is vital, more, more impactful and necessary um, and, and fruitful even than Mzuzu specialty coffee and all the health benefits that it brings. Folks, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom like that rare treasure, like that rare jewel that you would flip a gasket over if you just found. Don't assume you're going to bump into her or absorb wisdom. Don't assume that you're just going to sort of grow in wisdom because you're kind of around the world where wisdom exists. Seek her. Pursue her. And when you, see, when you find her, grab her. Hold her fast. And then watch what the Lord does. Let's pray together.